Okay, well, I first want to start off um, by uh, not speaking in to the notes or at least the, the direction that we were going for the first couple weeks, but I want us to talk just a, real briefly um, about what happened this week. Um, you all know uh, from the news and from social media and other places that, um, that another terrorist attack, a big terrorist attack, um, has, has happened in, in Paris and well over 100 people have, have uh, lost their lives. And I wonder, um, I, I wanted to speak just really quick before we, we dive in. Um, what, is, what is our response to that? Um, I, I know as, uh, as I was getting the notifications across on my phone, you know, the numbers of the people started just incrementing up and up and up. And um, the, first, the first emotion that I felt was anger um, and... Uh, and sadness, of course, uh, sadness for the family, sadness for another tragedy that take place in the city that's um, uh, induced by, by man and hatred and sin. Um, and then it got me to, to thinking about what, what should or how should, does, how should does the gospel inform my response and our responses as, as believers in this world. Um, first, first and foremost, that ever since Genesis chapter 3, there has always been hatred in this world. And uh, brother against brother have, have always been striking one another and killing one another. So this isn't something that necessarily is new. And it absolutely should shock us, absolutely. But it shouldn't surprise us that as believers, we've, we've been informed by the Scripture in such a way that there is a clear hatred in this world for other people. And, and I don't care what kind of... Um, uh, religious name you put in front of you, um, there is a there is a hatred of of uh, for other people in this in this world, um, and we have felt it as ourselves, right? We've all have been in that place where we've felt hate in a very strong, passionate way, um, and yet by God's common grace has not led us to do very difficult or very hateful things. Uh, the consequences of kind of what we've seen. Um, I also want us to say. Uh, this that um, the the Christian response is not anger or hatred toward Muslims. Um, uh, I know that we want to get angry toward Muslims and we want to, you know, kick them all out of our country and think that we're, you know, we can get on this political high horse that we're the superior, you know, white Christian American or something like that, and and we could, you know, we we dominate the country so we can do what it says, but it we don't have that privilege as believers. Um, what we do is, is we're, we're not to be angry toward our Muslim neighbors, but we are to share the gospel with our Muslim neighbors. Um, and if they so be it, take our lives, then praise be to God that he, um, that he would count us worthy for such suffering. Um, and so I wanted to speak real briefly on that and, and help us to understand. And, and, and it's interesting how if, if you were there on, if you were here with us on Wednesday night, how we talked about the goodness of God and the holiness of God and the love of God, and, and how of those things work itself out. If, if God is all loving, and if God is all good, then why is there such hatred and, and sin in, in the world? Or, or why, is, why do bad things happen? And there's a lot of people asking themselves that, that question, or have been asking themselves this question since Friday night. Why do bad things happen? Um, and the answer to that is, is we're biblically informed, and we know this even from our own sin, or from our own life, is it's sin. We live in an evil, wicked, generation and a gener and world and it's always been that way 
right? Let's not think that we're kind of like an elevated sense of, of sin. Sin has always been at its peak. I mean, how, how else could you explain a brother killing his brother, Cain and Abel? That is a peak of, of sin. Um, so, so let's not think that we're something better, but we've been saved by God's grace. And, and we're commanded to share the gospel. So if anything, let it inform our prayers that we're praying not only for the country of France, we're praying for the leaders, we're praying for our, our leaders, um, including our president. As much as many of us have disdain toward him, God has called us to pray for him, and God has called us also to submit. So let us pray for them and, and pray for, uh, for peace. Um, and, and I think ultimately underneath all of that, our hearts cry as believers, as Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. End it all, right? Be done with it all. Come. And so let's, let's just have a word of prayer together as, as a people gathered and, and pray for, for France, pray for the people of Paris and, and the family members and, and the leaders. So let's, let's pray. Uh, Father, we count it as a joy that we get to come before you, um, the sovereign king of the universe, that all things... What we would consider big or small have been ordained by you and have been brought to pass because of your hand. And Lord, we know that this, this evil act that has been taking place is, is not one that you have let slip by. It is not one by which uh, you have turned your eyes against or away from and didn't know it was happening. But Lord, you have allowed these things to be in place and taking place, which we may not understand, but God, as your people, we trust in you, knowing that you are holy, and that you are good, and that you will use these things for your good. Father, we pray as believers, we, we pray for the, the gospel to be spread in, in, in these uh, Muslim, Islamic countries, Father, where there seems to be so much hatred being um, being taught and brought about in this, this false religion, this religion that leads to such hatred. God, may the gospel be brought to those nations through the missionaries and that you would use us, oh God, to do so. Break down the walls that the evil one has built. Take down the blinders that has blinded them so deeply that Christ may be magnified in all people groups, and all people from all nations. Father, we pray for France as they grieve in the city of Paris and the family members who have lost. We pray for them. We pray for your, your comforting grace upon them. And we pray for the, the gospel to be manifested in their lives. We pray for our leaders, God, that you would use them and you would give them wisdom on how to handle such difficult situations. Give them clarity on how to think through such weighty issues. Father, we also pray for our president, President Obama. We pray for him as he is, uh, has traveled to, to Turkey for the G820 summit. We pray for his safety, oh God. Pray for the safety of his family. And we pray, Father, that you would Give him the wisdom to lead and to make the, the right decisions for this country. Father, we pray for our own selves that you would help us to submit to, to our leaders that you have sovereignly placed over us. And that we would be well-spoken in our community in such ways that the gospel may be magnified. Teach us to pray for our leaders 
especially the ones we may disagree with, oh God. And underneath everything, we trust in your sovereignty. We trust in your sovereignty that it is to bring about good for our lives and joy. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's continue our, our, our study through on, um, on elders. Imagine with me a beautiful day, kind of like today. Today's really pretty. It's kind of weird for a Sunday, huh? Um, a beautiful day with, with blue skies. The, the sun is shining, a, a, a cool breeze that, that's blowing. Right? We like days like that, don't we? We like days like that, and those days seem to be happening right now. And, and in this beautiful day, it's, it's over this huge field, right? So imagine this beautiful day and this, this huge field that has rolling hills, maybe, maybe up in like Tennessee or, or Kentucky, you see the, the beautiful rolling hills. And, and in those rolling hills, you see, you see stuff there, just the luscious green grass, just luscious green grass, a beautiful field. And if you've ever seen fields like that, I mean, just amazing, really, really beautiful fields. Imagine that, right? Everybody imagine that? Everybody following me? Carson, you with me? Abby, you with me? All right, everybody with me? Aaron, you good? All right, everybody got that, right? Sometimes our imaginations don't work so well with TV these days. Everybody imagine that. Now, this is a pleasing sight, right? We, we kind of, kind of, it's very peaceful. You feel like you maybe have a picnic or you just kind of can just sit and watch and see what happens for some of us, we like to put a deer stand on the side of it and see what might walk out, right? But it's a peaceful, peaceful time. Now, as much as we might enjoy it, now let's think about how much a flock of sheep would enjoy it. Let's think about how much a, a flock of sheep would enjoy this, enjoy this field, right? So, so in our imaginations now, let's, let's, let's now put some sheep in there, right? So let's put some sheep in this in, in this field, and, and they're enjoying it, right? And instantly, the sheep aren't looking up, and they're not looking at the sky and the, the, the sun and feeling the breeze. What are they doing? What are the sheep doing? They're eating the green, luscious grass, right? They're, they're going after the grass, and, and, and maybe they're even enjoying the, the wide open space and freedom. And of course, I mean, with these sheep in this beautiful, uh, beautiful field, you know, of course, these, this flock of sheep, maybe roughly 40, 50 sheep, right? They're in this field, and, and these sheep don't wander away, right? Like they, these sheep stay because they know what's good. These, these sheep know where, where they're, they're supposed to be because they know that in this field, this is what's going to be best for them, right? And they also got together after a while, say, hey, if we're going to be together and we're going to be in this field, right? You're imagining me, right? This, here's the sheep. And they, they get together and they say, I don't think we need any uh, supervision here. I don't think we need any guidance. I, I think we got it pretty good. Like we kind of got this utopian society of luscious green grass that keeps growing and, and beautiful hill and the weather's great. So why do we need people over us? I'll eat here, you eat there. You don't eat on my spot and don't use the restroom on my spot and I won't do the same on yours. And we're good, right? We're We're, we're good. And they all agree. They all agree. We, we're good. I'll, I'll take care of myself. You take care of yourself. As perfect as this fee, the field is, they feel, they, can, they feel completely safe from wolves or coyotes or even storms, right? Because that never comes or never happens. Yeah, but they also get together and say, well, just in case one of those things do come, 
just in case, maybe, maybe then at that point we'll get together and um, what we'll do is we'll start asking for resumes for shepherds, right? Because at that point, that's when we may need a shepherd. So, so we'll, ask, we'll, we'll start asking for resumes and, and, and hire one to meet the need of, of, of just, you know, kicking off the, uh, the wolves or helping us find a place to meet when it rains. Everybody imagine that? Everybody saw that? Now, we can imagine that. But is that reality? Is that, is that reality? Do, do sheep do that? John says yes. Maybe toward Columbus, that's what sheep do, but not here, John. I'm just kidding. He didn't say yes. No, it's not. It is not reality. Do the sheep of the pasture dictate everything they want to do? What's the problem with this? It's not reality. It doesn't happen. Sheep, sheep don't do that. Sheep don't stay in one place, do they? They'll wander. They'll, they'll eat themselves into the woods, and then all of a sudden turn around and go, huh? Or wolves or coyotes will come amongst them, right? And, and, and devour, devour them. Now, we've all heard on some level, and we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, that the Bible explicitly refers to the people who are in Christ, the people who are in Christ as sheep, as sheep. And then, they, and then Jesus actually describes himself as the shepherd, as the good shepherd, as the good shepherd, and meaning he's implying that he's the shepherd, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd over the sheep, which are those who are in Christ. Peter and Paul, they do the same. Mary doesn't, but Peter and Paul do. You guys get that? Peter, Paul, Mary. Terrible? That was bad? Okay. Jesus, Peter, and Paul all make the same comparison. So is Jesus, Peter, and Paul, are they being insensitive? Insensitive, right? It's a word we like to throw around. Or how about the word, are they being intolerant? Or are they just being condescending toward us? Toward us people, human beings, autonomous human beings. Is he being condescending or insensitive or intolerant to those who are in Christ when he calls us sheep? Is this really how Jesus thinks of us? Is this really how Jesus thought of us? That we are sheep? Yes. The answer is yes, right? Because we just said that. Yeah, absolutely. Right? But why does he call us sheep? Now, we all have heard the illustrations that sheep are dumb. Right? We know that. But I don't think that's what it is. Because we're not dumb. Right? If, you, if you've been with us on Wednesday nights, which you should, we've been talking about the communicable and incommunicable attributes. We have communicable attributes of God. We share in the same attributes. So some of us, yes, we may not have the intelligence, but, but overall, it's not that. It's not that we lack a certain dignity. It's not that we lack a certain uh, intelligence, but he calls us sheep because he knows how frail we are. Because he knows how frail you are. He knows how frail we are. And that frailty always manifests itself in the ways that we've been attacked, in the ways that we are brought astray, in the ways we are, we are taken astray. We are sheep because we are frail. And the attacks of the enemy against the sheep are always great. And so when Jesus calls us sheep, he knows how frail we are. And he also knows, and I think he's being very kind in calling us sheep, because he knows that we need a shepherd that we need the shepherd. And we need to be under the authority 
of the shepherd. So if we are the sheep, we can realize or we can recognize, unlike maybe even real sheep, that we need a shepherd. If we submit to the chief shepherd, then we can recognize our need for even under-shepherds, which is what we've been talking about over these last four weeks. Under-shepherds that the chief shepherd puts us puts over us to lead us and to guide us and to discipline us and the overseer to care for the sheep. And so we talked about how God has given us elders, has given us elders and has called elders among us to shepherd us and to oversee the flock. To oversee the flock. And so we've talked about elders. In Acts chapter 20, we talked about Acts 20 last week, 17 through 31. We talked about the primary task of the, shell, uh, of the elder is to shepherd. One of the tasks is to shepherd. And the reason for that, because he's supposed to be on guard, right? Standing in that field with the sheep, making sure they don't wander off, make sure they don't eat things they're not supposed to, drink from places that they shouldn't drink from, or get attacked by animals that they shouldn't be attacked from. And so last week we talked about how the shepherds are to be on guard for two things. And, and, and the church, the, the shepherds, the elders are to be on guard for two things. And first is they're to be on guard of their own spiritual lives. They're to be on guard for themselves first, right? If, if they are weak and if they are ineffectual in the scripture, if they are lacking of faith, if they are lacking in quality, if they are lacking in ability, and if they are lacking in a calling in their own lives, then how are they qualified are going to be able to fend off the wolves, even to themselves. And the elders are to guard their own spiritual lives and never to allow themselves even to, to, to slip. Never to allow them even themselves to slip. The second, the elders make sense, are to, to be on guard for the flock. They're being on guard for the flock. And this, this takes place mainly by the preaching, teaching, the instructing, the exhortation of the Scripture, and the admonishing of the flock. This includes the reproving of those who are in sin, to correct in error, but also it comes in in just knowing the people, knowing the people. I put on, I, I talked about last week that, that it is a difficult job sometimes for the elders, that they're going to, to make decisions and they're going to lead the sheep to places where sometimes the sheep just don't want to go. And sometimes it's, it's going to be very unpopular to the membership and the decisions that the, lead, that the elders would like to go or would be going. But yet the elders must be strong and guard the flock knowing that they are the ones who are responsible and they are the spiritual men to lead the body and to lead the church. So the work of the elders is not for, for, for the, uh, the faint of heart. It's not for it's not even for fame, it's not for prestige, it's not for privilege, but it is for the humble. And so last week we talked about how in, in light of that, that, that this shepherding idea, it's spiritual work. It's a spiritual work. And elders are to be men who are in tune with the spiritual condition of the church, knowing the, the pulse and knowing the, the temperature of, of, of what's happening in the body of, of Christ. And when they know those things, then they, they know how to apply biblically and spiritually how to care for the flock, knowing how to care for them. Second thing is that the shepherding is hard work. Shepherding is hard work with long, long hours, stressful days, 
things that are dangerous, not always easy. Like I said, not everybody's always going to agree. And I said number three was shepherding is an answerable work. Meaning that the shepherds are going to have to answer to the Lord, to the decisions and the guidance that they, that they lead the church. Therefore, they're under a greater responsibility to the Lord. To the Lord. So this week, as we shifted from, from shepherds, this week we're going, to, we're going to shift into the second part of the roles and function of the elders, and that is as overseers. And, and what we're going to see is there's so much overlap. There's so much overlap. They, they can't be separated as in like this is, this is this, their job, they do this on this day, and this is the job they do on uh, another day. It's, it's the same job built into one, but they, they do have some distinctivenesses to them. Now, when we talk about overseeing, that the, one of the jobs or the functions of, of an elder is to oversee the church, it doesn't take much for us to define or understand what that means. We, we know what that means as what an overseer is. We, we know what this word implies, right? It means to, to watch over, to guide, to have leadership, and even the word manage uh, comes into play there when it talks about overseeing when it talks about overseeing. So there's not a separation also from the, the, uh, from the shepherds. So, we all, so then what we know is that managing and that overseeing or watching over and guiding isn't separated from the care and the watchful care of the shepherd, that they overlap. Now, it's hard for us to understand, and we talked about this for over the weeks, is, is our individual differences of what we think or what we've seen in church or our experiences in church life has not been an overseer in such a ways that we've, we've heard. It's always been as the follow. We kind of follows. We kind of had it on three different levels. And the first level is this, is that first is that there's a, a single pastor that's hired, right? This, this is generally what we've always, all of us have, have all have ever known, is that that's generally there's this, a pastor, a single pastor, not meaning single, not married, but just one pastor that is hired. And this pastor is hired truthfully, truthfully, with little knowledge or, or quality or, or capability of the man. I mean, they, they hire them in, in light of all that. I mean, in my own experiences and the jobs and churches that I've had, have, have they've only known me once or twice and had a phone interview and I've, I've spoken maybe once or twice. And, and you know just as well as I do that it takes a little bit longer to get to know the quality of the man than just an interview. In an interview. And, and when that pastor is, is hired, generated by an election by the congregation as they have been nominated by a, a, a committee or appointed by a committee, right? And sometimes in these places, this, this, this pastor, this single pastor, this one pastor, sometimes is the pastor who holds all the authority. And, and they, this, in this authority, they, they are the ones who primarily make all the decisions, Make all the decisions, whether these decisions are good and whether these decisions are, are, are bad, whether these decisions are spiritual or whether these, these decisions are temporal. They're the ones who make the decisions in the life of the church. And other times, the pastor is just kind of hired on as a hired hand. They see him as just someone there to do a job, and that is to preach and fill a pulpit on, on Sunday and has little to no authority. We've seen that. Sometimes, sometimes these men at the top, they, they can do a really good job. And, and I, don't, I don't discount that some of y'all have, have sat under, some, uh, under the teaching and the leadership and the guidance and the shepherding of a, of a really good pastor. 
I don't, I don't discount that, that, that some of them have done a really good job at leading and shepherding the body of Christ. Absolutely. Yet, as loving and as talented and as well-intentioned as they may be, they will never, that single pastor will never have the complete shepherding and overseeing capability as he would among a group or board of elders. Would never have that capacity to see everything as a multitude would. Then, as some of us have even experienced, where the pastor doesn't do a good job, where this pastor may be abusive to the sheep, where it may be over-domineering over of, the, of, of the sheep and, and just doesn't do a good job at leading the body of Christ at all. Maybe they're just too passive in their leadership. They, they offer no oversight to the church and to the sheep. Or they just don't lead at all. Or they're domineering and they demand people to follow and say, this is what I decide, so you, so you follow. And that allows abuses among the people and, and, and also harbor harsh feelings toward, toward this man or toward this pastor. And once again, just as we see before, that in the same ways, yet no one has still come among and alongside for accountability to this man. And therefore, he unilaterally makes decisions by himself. So that's the first level. Second level that we've experienced is the deacon body. We've experienced the deacon body made up of, of multiple men of the church. So here we see a plurality, right? Multiple men of the church who are given charge to, to make the decisions of the church. I mean, let, that, that's generally what the, the deacon body has been said. As many have always said, no, we're the servants of the church, but this is the position that they've taken, is to, to make the decisions of the church. And usually these decisions are about temporal issues. They, they discuss maintenance and upkeep of facilities. They talk about the budget. They talk about how much someone's going to get paid. They talk about parking lot. They talk about programs. They talk about the temporal. And generally, 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 little attention is given, given to the qualification of this man at all. And just as I we've heard this week, um, Bill and I have heard this week that once you give that man that position and that power, you can't get it back. So therefore, this, this deacon board becomes a, a board of directors, in a sense, a board of accountability in a, in, in a way for the pastor that's very unhealthy. That's always scrutinizing what the pastor does. They begin, a, they be, they begin a, a, a board of directors, and what they begin to do is they begin to a, a competition with the pastor, and they, they work to subvert the, the will and the work of the pastor, and there becomes this, this, this unwritten kind of cold war, if you would, between the pastor and the deacons. And the deacons aren't the ones who are serving the body of Christ, but rather they're asserting an authority that is not theirs in the first place. And two, they become a body that, that, that uh, resembles something very unbiblical and very worldly. Now, this isn't the case all the time, but I think for a lot of us, generally, that's what we've experienced and what we've seen. So those are the first two levels. The third level is this, in the membership, where everybody has a right to say, has a right to have a say in every decision that is made. 
right? So here's the third level of authority and overseeing that we've seen in the church. Our experience is the membership where everyone seems to have this right, right? Good old Americans, we want our rights, this right to have a say in every decision that is made or has the right to scrutinize every decision that is made. Good or bad. Now I have to ask you the question, in light of what we've been talking about over the weeks, is this really what the Bible has taught us to do? Are these three levels of overseeing of what we've experienced in the church, is this what the Bible really meant? Is this really what the church is supposed to be? Is this what Paul taught us and taught Tim, uh, Titus and, and taught Timothy? And when he told Titus, Titus 1, to put things in order in the church, is this really the order that he meant? That everybody is in this stalemate of cold war against one another? That everybody feels like they can assert their own authority? That everybody in of their own individualistic person and right is in charge? Is that really what Paul says? Is that what he's asserting? What has it ever produced us? Like, if we can be pragmatic about it, what has it ever produced for us? Anger, disdain, discontentment, hurt. Well, I'm leaving. I'm done. What has it ever got us? Hurt. So simply, simply no. This, the answer to this is no. The church is meant to be so much more. And once again, we have to understand. We have to understand that if we ignore the Scripture, if we ignore the Scripture in these areas, we're going to set ourselves up out of sync and out of rhythm with what the Lord has for His bride. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 resembles a lot of, of uh, Titus 1, and we're going we're to run through 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And he says this, he says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-control, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household... For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or that he may be puffed up or conceited, or conceit and fall into condemnation of the, of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of an outsider, so that he may, he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Here Paul uses the word overseer, right? And it's different from what we see in, um, what we see in Titus. It's a different word, but it's the same position. Now, throughout history, some of the, uh, uh, some of the uh, churches have, have separated that. Um, and I won't give you the, the, the history of it, but, but that's how, when they separated overseer from elder or, 
or pastor, shepherd, when they separated the word, they, they begin to think that the bishop was a completely different position than, than the elder, and, and eventually it led to uh, the papacy. It eventually led to, the, uh, uh, to what we know as the pope uh, uh, today. But that's not, that's not the intention of Paul. It's the same position. Once again, it describes not just the elder, describes the quality of the man, the maturity spiritually of the man, but the word overseer, as we saw in the word shepherd, is describing the position and the job of, of the elder. So there's no distinction here between the overseer and, and the elder. The overseer is not just a one-man leader, as we've seen before. Right? who makes decisions uh, for the life and health vitality of the church or the body of the, or the sheep uh, alone. He doesn't do these himself. When they're made alone, we increase our chances for the self-agendas, the self-serving, the self-willed decisions from one man, but not in a plurality. So the Holy Spirit was the one, as we talked about last week, but I need to bring this up again, that the Holy Spirit is the one who makes overseers. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes overseers. Acts, Acts 20, verse 20, 28 says, Be on guard for yourselves. Be on guard for yourselves. He's talking to the elders. Paul speaking to the elders of Ephesus. He says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Right? That's the shepherding, the guarding. Among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So there's something deeply spiritual going on here, right? That the Holy Spirit's the one who, who, who makes overseers. While Paul might have selected and trained the elders, the congregation may have approved the elders, but the Holy Spirit made them overseers and made them the shepherds. So, so you do not make overseers. I do not make overseers. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes elders. The Holy Spirit may, is the one who makes elders, Period. And this is a, a glorious mystery on how this works. But the evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit is in the quality of the man. The evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit is in the quality, in the ability, in the calling of the man who is to be an elder. And this calling and quality and ability is unmistakable. That's why the, I think the church in Ephesus, was, it was easy for them to affirm and for Paul to, to select. In verse 5, we see another uh, trait of, of the elder. is to manage his, manage his own household well. To manage his own household well. So here's another word here. Manage. Manage. Right? So how, how will this, this, uh, uh, this uh, elder uh, care for the church? Well, the implication is that the overseer who has the qualification to lead is also managing and caring for the body of Christ because he has already proven himself in the management of his own household. In the management of his own household. The same word uh, manage in, in the Greek is also used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. And, and there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, it's, it's translated as have charge over you in the Lord. Of those who have charge over you in the Lord. Right, so we understand this, this word manage, right? This manage is not just a, a secular term of, of what we would, at least my mind, continue. Every time I think manage, I go to Michael Scott of, of, of uh, the office, and I can't, right? But, but we think of manage, we think of a manager, someone who's over something. But look what Paul does in, its, in the meaning of the word in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.12, and I think it, it, it implies the same way, that they have a charge over you in the Lord. 
There's a deeper meaning here, right? It implies a stronger interest, a stronger interest than just getting a job done in order to have a great effect, but a strong interest in the people in order to show care for them, in order to show care for them. Um, Phil Newton explained it like this. He said, in other words, managing a church does not mean ordering people around, but overseeing them. Hence the term episkopos, meaning overseer, is leading and caring. Leading and caring and fashioning. Working toward their good. Working toward their good. As with any kind of managing or governing or decisions have to be made for the good of the church, direction must be set to further the church's mission. That's glorious. So this managing and overseeing and is, is not in a way of just lording over people and telling them what to do, but it's leading in a caring fashion, working toward your good. Working toward your good and for the, the mission and the life mission of the church. Turn a couple pages now over to 1 Timothy 5. Let's look at this text, 1 Timothy 5, starting in verse 17. 1 Timothy 5, verse 17 and 18, it says this, Let the elders, right, here we go, elders, who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So here in this text, we see two more duties of our, our two duties of the, the overseer, right? As he explained in 1 Timothy chapter 3, as he goes through the qualifications of the man, we see another word being used here, rule, to, to rule. So overseeing is also to rule. And leading and managing is overseeing. And once again, the 1 Timothy chapter 3 passage kind of gives us an insight here of how we see rule. It's the one who is loving. It's the one who is exercising wise management, just like a father would for his family. Exercising wise management that a father does for his family. And the second thing we see is preaching is teaching, right? One that we'll unpack some more in a minute. So the two things we see, rule and preaching and teaching, the, the, rule, the, the, the role and function of the, of the elder or the overseer or the shepherd, all one. Let's go now to 1 Peter chapter 5. We, we did this text a couple of weeks ago, but we're going to read it over again, and we'll see uh, uh, four more. We'll see four more uh, uh, functions of, of the elder that, that really coincide with the, the rest of the text. And here's, here's uh, Peter speaking, right, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Once again, we see Peter speaking to us. So it's the same things as, as Paul. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as fellow as a fellow elder and a weakness of suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those who are in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you are younger. Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, 
but gives grace to the humble. We see here in this text the first thing, one of the first duty, uh, roles and functions of an overseer is to teach and preach, as we saw in 1 Timothy 5. It's to, it's to preach and teach. Being able to teach in the qualities of chapter 3 of 1 Timothy and also in Titus 1 is they must be able to teach. They must be able to hold fast to the faithful message that is being taught so that they will be able to not only encourage with sound teaching, but also refute those who contradict it. If all the elders are, are able to, if all the elders are able to teach, the, if there's a plurality of elders amongst us and they're all able to, to teach soundly, then these under shepherds, then they must be the men and the leaders who teach. They must be teaching the sheep. Primarily, this teaching should be done by the elders for the admonishing and the exhortation of the congregation weekly. Weekly. And in this teaching, in this preaching, in this admonishing, and in this exhortation, it's to remind the congregation of their former life. I love how Paul does that. Paul says, you are all of these things. You are the drunkards. You are the philanderers. I don't know if he uses that word, but he uses other explicit language than that. And he calls them all kinds of different things, especially in Corinthians. And then he says, such as some of you were, but now. He reminds us where we were. And this is what this does, reminds us of our former life, reminds us of who we were before we were saved, before we were in Christ. And then he calls people to repentance. The teacher, the preacher calls people to repentance. And he points them to Christ in the gospel, points them to the good news of Christ in the gospel. And this teaching, let's not forget that it is teaching of sound doctrine. And I like that word sound because if you take the, we, we like good sounds. We don't like noisy sounds, right? Noisy sounds can become annoying. But if it's sound, it's pleasing. It's enjoyable. And in this, this sound doctrine, this right doctrine, this teaching is what our elders point us to weekly. Weekly. And this is what we're doing on Wednesday nights as we, we go through the attributes of God and we talk about God. All the elders, all the elders amongst us, here, us, whether they are the teaching pastor or elder or lay elder, both elders, both categories of elders, both in quality and will, will be equal in their authority and leadership and both will be equally responsible for the teaching of the scriptures. And they were all equally responsible to the Lord as ones who will give an account of what is being taught. And see, this is what we got to understand is that there's a difference between the shepherd and the elder and the sheep. The sheep will be held to an accountability absolutely before the Lord and they will be responsible to how they respond to the gospel and how they respond to the teaching of the word of God. But the elders will be held to a higher standard of by which how they taught it and by which they delivered it and by which they, they were faithful to the message. That's scary to me. <laughs> and I'm one who's been called to do so. I don't take that lightly. And neither should we ever appoint a man who does take that lightly. If they do, they're unqualified. 
And in teaching, I think this is where the elders are staying in tune to the overall teaching ministry of the church. They, they know what, the, what, what the, ter- the church needs. I think even from the songs that we sing on Sunday, on Sunday mornings or whenever it is, from the songs that we sing to whatever is taught in small groups, they're always listening to what the members are talking about. They're always listening to what the members may be reading about. And they're also watching. They're watching so that they, could, so that they can be alert to when there's rotten food amongst the sheep. And they can point it out lovingly, hey, this book is terrible. Don't read Jesus Calling. Right? I'm being specific. It's terrible. It sounds good. Feels good. Problem is, it's unbiblical. It asserts an extra biblical authority. Unbiblical. And, and so we, that's what the elders do. They, they point these things out lovingly. I don't want to eat garbage, do you? Right? I'm so thankful for my mom. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to reveal something really, really personal about me that I don't like telling very many people. When I was young, probably Lottie's age, which maybe explained a lot of things about my, my sweet daughter Lottie. When I was Lottie's age, my mom used to have, we used to go to the beach, right? We live in Florida, so we go to the beach. And, and I was notorious of picking things up at the beach and putting them in my mouth. And one day, my mom found me with cigarette butts in my mouth. I see Miss Lori cringing. Please do not faint on us. Right? I, yeah, tell me about it, right? I'm the one who had them in my mouth, and I wasn't even smoking them, right? There's someone else did, right? I mean, tell me about it. And I was so thankful that my mom loved me enough to say, hey, son, I don't know if this is what she said, but this is what she should have said. Hey, son, don't be an idiot. Get those out of your mouth. And she dug them out of my mouth, right? Maybe I was Lydia's age. I'm hoping I was five years old doing that. Um, <laughs> But that, in, 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 in many ways, not to sound condescending to the sheep, but we're so easily duped. And sheep are so easily duped into doing things and to, to give in to plausibilities because it sounds good. I mean, doesn't it sound good that a little, per, little boy who died and, and then came back and told everybody about heaven? Doesn't that sound great? Don't we all want to know about it? Problem is, it's not. Nobody ascends from heaven and down below except for the Lord himself. Straight up. And yet we're so easily swayed. And that's one of the reasons why we need godly shepherds and godly elders to lead us. Because we're so easily swayed. So easily swayed. And I don't mean that condescendingly. I hope you don't, or you're not offended by that. Or maybe I do. I don't know. We'll talk about it, right? That's kind of the point. But I don't want you to be. I want you to see that, the, that God has put people for the care of you. For the care not condescending, but for your care. There to be the, the judge and the doctrine issues, doctrinal issues, right? The things that I guess maybe us uh, weird theological people in, in, enjoy, but the problem is, is it's not only just in the teaching of the church, but it's the judge and the doctrinal issues of the church that come up, and they always come up. They have already come up. Since we've started meeting, these doctrinal issues have already come up. And they'll continue to come up. And it's the, it is the, the, the job, the role of the elder to, to, to judge accordingly in these doctrinal issues according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. So that's the first one, the teaching. Second one is leading, the exercising oversight, the watchful, responsible care of the church. Just as shepherds are to lead the flock, so the elders lead the local congregations. Local congregations, shepherds watch over the souls of those who are in their charge. They spend time with their flock. They understand their needs, and then they apply God's word to them. 
with, with precision. I love that. With, with precision, they apply God's word to the flock and to their needs. And they apply God's word to them. And they regularly feed them with the truth of the scripture by unfolding the doctrines of the word and helping them to stand firmly in the faith. I like this, uh, this quote by, by John Calvin, and, and he said in pastoral ministry in this way, and the elders, he said, let us bear in mind the definition given to the word shepherd, for the flock of Christ cannot be fed except with pure doctrine, which alone is our spiritual food. I love that. That the, that the, shep, the shepherd's uh, main definition for the flock of Christ cannot be except for, for, for giving the word of God, the pure doctrine which is our spiritual food. And what did Jesus say about the spiritual food? Man, man should not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. We need to feast on it. And the, and the, and the shepherds are what the ones who God has called to, to do that. So the elders oversee, lead the church. They oversee, they, they lead the church. Elders are to be, to be brave and to lead. Right? They're not to be, they're not to be like King Saul. When he, was, when he was chosen to be king in 1 uh, Samuel chapter 10, he went and hid among the luggage. That's not what the elders do. We don't go hide. But we stand and we lead and we stand in the face of the dangers and the impopularity that may come our way. When they're challenged in the church, we face them off and we hit them proactively and plot a course forward through, through them. So part of that is they, they reach out to the frustrated members who, who stopped attending. They confront an unrepentant member through church discipline. I think that they, they're the ones who, 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 who deal with the maybe budget issues and challenges and decisions that need to be made that are difficult or any other important policy that will affect the spiritual identity of the congregation. This is the role of the elder. They exercise oversight. They exercise oversight as a, as a manager does with a, with a team. They exercise oversight, guarding over against false doctors. They, they exercise oversight of what ministries are done in the church. They exercise oversight of that. They exercise oversight of who we affiliate with or who we do not affiliate with. They exercise oversight of the finances of the church. They exercise oversight of the, the leading and the overall direction of the church. And elders, they, they lead because they are not losing sight of the destination. They're not losing sight of the destination because our goal is not to become an efficient organization, right? Which is wise and we should be. We should be efficient and we should be wise with what we have. But rather, the, the elders should lead the church members toward maturity in Christ. Maturity in Christ. Ephesians 4, 11 through 14 says this. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and caring about every wind of doctrine by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. I don't want to be that, and I don't want you to be that. I don't want you to be the uh, children who are tossed to and fro by, by waves with every wind of doctrine and by human cunning and craftiness. I don't want you to be that way. And we don't have to. So the Lord has given us leaders and shepherds. They lead the flock to green pastures and still waters, and they help their members to, to, to know Jesus more and increase and reflect His glory together. They model 
They model. They model. So they, they exact oversight, but they also model. They example to the flock, as we saw in First Peter chapter 5, verse 3, not domineering of those in your charge, but being example, setting example for the flock. I think it was right when Paul said, Paul said to the church in Corinth, he said, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. And the elders should say the same thing. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me. Follow me. They model maturity. They're modeling maturity for, for the body. The fourth thing is that the, church, that the elders pray. Acts chapter 6, there arose a dispute over, over food to the widows. And the apostles' response to, to the need was that the church was to put forward seven men of good reputation, full of spirit and wisdom. And this kind of set us the category of, of kind of what a deacon would be in serving the body of Christ, who would serve in this area. And they said that way, they would serve in these ways so that we could devote ourselves to the leading of the church through prayer and through the ministry of the word of the body. And that's one of the primary tasks of the, of the elder is to pray in the intercessory prayer of, of the church, praying for the spiritual needs of the membership. I, I, I firmly agree that it's the need of the, or the call of the elder to pray for the membership role of the church to pray through, those, through that role for the family and for the needs that, that, that come up. Because an elder, in all their quality and all their spiritual maturity, they're not Jesus. They're still powerless to mature anyone, and it's only the Holy Spirit who can do that through God's Word. And therefore, we pray. And when we realize this truth, it drives the elders to pray. And they also care. The elders care. James 5, verses 13 through 14 says, If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. If anyone's cheerful, let them sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Care of the elders comes in the form of praying for the church and praying and, and caring for the sheep. So what does this all for mean for us in, in overseeing? Well, I came up with some, some thoughts and I want to share with, with you all. And, and then we'll, we'll be done. What does this mean? First of all, this. So I'm going to get real specific. First of all, is this, is that first, I, I, I care for you all, and I, I, don't, I didn't put care. I actually said I, I love you all dearly. I, I know all of you, and I'm thankful for that. I don't, I don't, some of you I may not know deeply, but I, but I know you all. And, and I'm so grateful for, for my six and a half years that I've, I've had to, to know you all and to, to be a part of your life and to serve with you, to strive in the gospel ministry with you. And even, I'm, just, I'm very very grateful to the Lord for our time of the six and a half years we had at Friendship and very thankful for that. And I see that as nothing more as God's grace to us than working, than working in all of our lives and giving us that time together before we get to where we are now. I do not revel in the fact of the destruction that might have taken place over those months at the end of September or whatever it was and the things that we walked through. I don't revel in that. But I absolutely believe and I'm confident that he, that he and the six, that God, that with God in the six and a half years of friendship that we walked through, that it was by his divine sovereignty and by his divine providence to bring it all about in such a way to bring us here. This isn't a response. This isn't a reaction to what, to what it's, it might be our response and our reaction, but it's not God's. I believe it was God's will. 
And, and the reason why I, I, I think that and I say that is because another thing that was just kind of brought to my attention this week in thinking about it is that if we didn't walk through what we walked through this week and as diff or this or back in September and, and even sooner, if we didn't walk through those things, some of us would still be there, including myself. I, I was in. I mean, I was in. I wasn't giving up. I was going to keep pressing. I was going to keep praying. I was going to keep preaching the word and keep being faithful. And the Lord... The Lord ripped it out. He pulled it out. He did it. He did it. And he did it to bring us all to this place, not for us just to feel destruction and, and hurt and guilt and shame and all those things, but he was doing it for his glory and for our joy, to do a great work amongst us, to do a great work. So I, so I can say to, to you with confidence right now and today, being that it's you know, almost the end of uh, November, that it's been an awesome seven weeks for me. It's been a great seven weeks. Been difficult, been difficult. But it's been fun. It's been new, very new, right? New for all of us. It's been very nerve-wracking too. It's been difficult and fun, nerve-wracking and new. But this work that we are doing, this work that we are doing in this time and in the time ahead, in this work of church planting, let us not make the mistake and that is what we are doing. And that that is the direction we are going, is planting a church. Planting a church. Now here's, if that's the work that we are doing, let's, let's go back to what the, the New Testament says about that. Right? The sheep, though, right? So we talk about sheep. The sheep are never the ones in the church or in the New Testament are never the ones who go out and plant a church. The sheep never go out and plant a church in the New Testament. It has always been one of the apostles or one of the missionaries or, they, or it's been planted by another church under the guidance and leadership of the elders. This model, this model is by the one by which we must plant. We must plant in that model, not as like this group collective effort to plant a church, but under the guidance and leadership of elders. If the sheep go off and try to do their own thing, what do we expect to happen? Failure. Because they're not called. They're not going to take the responsibility. Some are incapable. It must be done by the elders. Bill and myself, that Bill, Bill and myself, we, we feel called, called to plant a church here in Statesboro to the glory of God to the glory of God, that God has called us. And we believe that right now, at this point, that we are the elders. And this isn't some kind of self-appointment, right? This isn't self-appointment of, of leadership like a dictator, right? A dictator is a, is a one person, 
right? So if we believe the scriptures and what we've been taught over these past weeks, then this should be our response, that, that a dictator is this one man leading unilaterally. But this is a plurality of shared authority derived from Christ's authority to teach, lead, model, pray, and care for the flock. And I was reminded from Brother Bill yesterday that also we, we believe, Bill and I, we believe, Bill and I, that we, all of us, we have always been a part of the church. We've always been a part of the church. And we've also believed that we, meaning back to him and I, that we have been the elders called to lead this body of believers. And over the last six years, we've been doing that. And that's what I mean from the beginning there, that it's been God's grace that we have such a foundation of that. That we have this. That just because, just because someone else gets uh, the land and someone else gets the building, that doesn't mean that we've ever stopped being the shepherds of the flock and you've ceased to be the church. Does that make sense? Y'all jiving with that? So I want to make a warning to you now. And I, and I, and I don't, I mean this as kind and as sincere as I can because this is something that I'm as guilty as, of as well is that I want to make a warning to us as a, as a group of people that we need to be careful in our dreaming. Our dreaming and scheming. <laughs> our dreaming and scheming. And this is something that I'm guilty of. Because my, my heart dreams for this congregation, to become a, a congregation in a church and to be healthy and vital, and, and vital to the community and God uses us in glorious ways. And, and, and I think we all, we, we are dreaming that we want this to be a big, healthy church and we want a building and we want multiple staff to do the work and we want a, a website and we want a, a band to lead worship. And man, we just want a real bulletin. Now, we can take the Zaxby's and get a free drink, right? That actually says the name, right? We want these things. We want the 200 people. We want these. We're dreaming that. I've heard it. We're dreaming these things. And, there's, and I just got to be careful here because as good as those desires seem, as, as an elder, I want to say as well that it's pretty worldly too. Because those are the worldly marks of what a healthy church should look like. And I'm telling you from the Bible sense, Biblically and from the New Testament, those marks shouldn't be the guide of which we see what a healthy church is. But there's other marks. There's other things. And we need to be careful because those things serve as distractions to us. They're distracting to us. That we need to get a place. That we need to do all, all, all of these things. And, and these measures of success, it shouldn't be ours. They shouldn't be ours. Brothers and sisters, you're, breathing, you're, you're dreaming big things for us, and as good as they may seem and sound, I warn you now to stop. To stop. They will only be used, listen to this, they will only be used to discourage you in this process. They will only be used to discourage you in the process of, number one, of trusting the Lord and submitting to the elders of the church. Because you're going to be like, well, why aren't we doing this? Why haven't we gotten this place? Why haven't we got, you know, a 700-member 
children's ministry? Or why aren't we doing seven VBSs? And why aren't we going on nine mission trips? And why aren't we doing... And all that is is to discourage you and make you think that, that we're to be something that we're not. And that's, that's the evil one. Because all those things sound great. And I'm not discouraging mission trips. I can't wait till we go on mission trips. I'm not discouraging those things. But the evil one will take those good things and he will use it to discourage you. And it'll make you question, what am I doing? Why am I here? Why am I sitting in a group in the Honey Bowen building with, with 40 people when I could be you know, at First Baptist with 1,000 people and watch big screens and listen to you know, orchestrated music to its perfect tune and meter? I don't mean to make fun of First Baptist. We have a lot of good brothers and sisters who go there. This is a process. We are the ones, the elders are the ones who are called to do this work. God is the one who has made us the elders by His Holy Spirit in leading and shepherding and caring and teaching and overseeing as ones who will be responsible, not to man, but the ones who will be responsible to God Himself. I, I woke up this morning at like 4 a.m. because I was nervous about this message. It's never happened to me before. Because it makes me sound prideful in this. <laughs> and I can tell you that this is a weight. This is, this is a weight and responsibility that I'm not just going to say that I, take, I don't take lightly because what does that prove? But it bears. It bears on me. It's going to age me. <laughs> But to the glory of God, may I be expended and used and used up for Him. So, I want, I, I, now, so now that I squashed your dreams, <laughs> right? Now that I just kind of like poured water on it, I want to give you a vision. And then this is it, I promise. And I know that's been long. And it won't always be long, by the way, okay? You'll be like, ugh. But I want to cast a vision for you. And I think this vision is very biblical and it comes from Ephesians. And I look forward to walking through Ephesians with you in the new year. Listen to this. If you want to be a people who glorify God in all things, who desire to be empowered by the Word of God to love each other, to forgive each other, to teach each other, and to prepare each other to live by grace, if you want to be a people who reflect the power of God's majesty and invest in each other to praise of His glorious grace, then you'll want to be a holy and healthy people who ultimately reveal the Word of Christ in and through you. Then you're going to want to hold fast Stop dreaming and lean in to where we are going. This is why I said stop dreaming because the, the world dreams about what, what the church is to be. But let us be the church according to the Scripture alone and is marked by what a healthy church is to be and who Christ is. And these are the marks of a healthy church. Suffering. Don't want that one, right? We want La La Lion and cupcakes and, and, and pretty books from Lifeway. Suffering 
is a mark of the church. Faithfulness. Truth. And love. And in all things, all of these things are to be for the glory of God. All of these things are to be for the glory of God. I close with Philippians 3. Paul says this in testimony to the church in Philippi. He says, Indeed, I count all things as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Father, you have deep things for us, and you have called us to, to great things according to your scripture. And I pray that we do not believe or think that those great things are according to what the world has shaped for us and what church ought to be but what you have accomplished in Christ and in Christ alone. That we would be a people who is devoted to the word, devoted to one another, devoted to the teaching and training of one another, devoted to forgiving one another, devoted into to loving one another, devoted into placing one another above oneself. God, that we may be as Paul, as he said, that we may know Christ in the power of his resurrection and that we may share in his sufferings becoming like him in death so that we may by any means obtain the resurrection from the dead. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. First of all, I, I very much want to com uh, 